Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and happy Monday. Yes, I hope you had a great weekend. I know how to start your week off with a good role. What we're going to do, we're going to bring my good friend, the great journalist, the great author, the great investigative researcher. You know who I'm talking about, right? Peter Schweitzer is in the house. We're going to have him for the whole show. You don't need to hear from me. He's way more interesting. We're going to start in just a few seconds with our great conversation with Peter. Before we do, a reminder, we have seen evidence since 2010 and again just in the last few weeks of just how wealthy nancy pelosi and her husband have become since she became speaker since she served in the house how do you become a multimillionaire while on a public servant's salary and peter starting in 2010 with his great book exposed the idea that maybe there were some pretty nice stock deals coming into members like pelosi that led to the U.S. Stock Act that allowed us to get a better visibility to these deals. But it really hasn't stopped the big score stock deals that these lawmakers seem to do. They seem to outperform all of us. And either they're just better traders on the stock market or they're benefiting from something else like political influence or political inside information. That's the issue we want to surround today with Peter Schweitzer. We'll take a quick commercial break when we come back our exclusive interview and conversation with the great author, the great journalist, the great researcher, Peter Schweitzer. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 
All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, one of my good friends and absolutely one of the greatest journalists of his generation, Peter Schweitzer, the great author, the great journalist, great researcher, great thinker. He's in the house today. Peter, welcome back to the show. Always great to be with you, John. Thanks so much for having me. I'm yeah. looking forward to this. You are a national treasure. Your work has had such impact and continues to have impact every day. And I wanted to bring you on because there's been these fun round of stories recently where a new generation of reporters has just discovered that, hey, Nancy Pelosi and her husband have been getting rich off of her being in the leadership of Congress. And I'm amused by it. It's good that those stories come out again because we have to keep reminding people. But you had the ultimate uh, beat on this. I think it was a decade ago this year. The great book, Throw Them All Out. Uh, Paul Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, I remember a thing with Visa and some preferred stock. Tell us how you first got onto the scam and how it's basically continued all the way through another decade. Yeah, John. I mean, so it's interesting. I got this uh, article sent to me by a friend who's an economist. It was in a publication called the Journal of Quantitative Economics. It, it was published back in 2008. And the article laid out how, you know, the average uh, investor underperforms the stock market with their stock picks, which is people like me, <laughs> the, the average um, <laughs> hedge fund, the average hedge fund, you know, beats the market or at that time was beating the market by four or five percent a year. But it also noted that the average U.S. senator was beating the market by 12 percent a year. And, wow. and that just struck me as yeah astronomical because. You know, people like Warren Buffett and others uh, would kill for that kind of return. And so it, it left me with this dilemma. You know, are these, you know, senators just underappreciated for their great brilliance <laughs> or is something else going yeah. on? And I quickly settled that something else was going on. Absolutely. And what I realized, yeah, was that that insider trading, those laws apply to us, but they don't really apply to members of Congress. And that led me to start looking at the patterns of stock trades of elected officials from both sides of the aisle. And what I found, lo and behold, is that people sitting on the health committee were trading healthcare stocks when they were introducing legislation that was gonna you know, benefit those companies and vice versa. And that's what really got me started. And the Pelosi material, I think was some of the most explosive back in 2011. And lo and behold, it appears as if she is continuing to do similar sorts of things today. Yeah, it is remarkable. Your book and your writing, your journalism had enormous impact because they actually passed the law to make stock transactions more transparent. At least the American public would see them in semi real time, though a lot of people are late on these reports. But you had enormous impact. The disclosure is there now, but it seems like the insider trading hasn't stopped, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you were covering this back in the day too, John. So you remember the kind of euphoria and the excitement that people had, oh, we're finally going to deal with this issue. We're going to make insider trading illegal. There's going to be strict reporting requirements. We're oh, going to yeah. go from just reporting, you know, and it, was, it used to be just an annual report. Now they have to report stock trades as they occur on a much more frequent basis. But the problem is that they basically went back and later and on a bipartisan basis gutted the bill. Uh, and by gutted the bill, what they essentially did was loosen the law where, you know, it described insider trading. I mean, in other words, it's very, very hard now to prove that an elected official is engaged in insider trading. That part of the law is almost meaningless. And even as it applies to the, the frequency of disclosures, as you've pointed out, a, a lot of them just fail to file those reports. Yeah. And as you look at the sort of stock transactions they're engaged in, 
they still sort of continue to blatantly trade in stocks. So in the case of the Pelosi's, for example, she's the Speaker of the House. Legislation that's going to uh, affect big tech in a positive way or big contracts going to big tech. Her husband's not only buying and selling stock in big tech, um, he's actually um, you know, buying options, which are sort of leveraged bets that the stock is going to go one way or the other. And of course, Paul Pelosi Jr., sorry, Paul Pelosi Sr., uh, just happens to be really good at Boy, making those predictions. I'll tell you, I'd like to have his record a lot. Oh my gosh, I, I remember the Visa deal where he got the preferred stock offering on Visa while a legislation was winding through the Congress uh, that affected credit card companies. And you go, man, that uh, that can't be a coincidence. And of course, it isn't a coincidence, but it's um, it really is remarkable. We had an interesting thing. I, uh, there's a brand new member of Congress. I, I love going through these reports and I learned something yep. valuable. You know, I used to always at the AP when I was a young reporter, every May I was going to go through all the disclosure reports and we would do these fun projects. But the new gimmick is most people kick their report. They get a 90 day extension and they get it into the dead of August when we're all on vacation and they drop their yep. report. And I, I just there's a brand new freshman Republican out of Texas, a guy named Brian Fallon, and uh, he gets on the House Armed Services Committee and he doesn't file in May. He gets a 90 day extension. So I, lo and behold, I was working the last week, of August. I, I go look at it. and Oh, my gosh. Guess what? He just bought. He bought Boeing stock. He's, he's trading in Boeing and like oh, Boeing on the Armed Services Committee. How did that happen? Well, even the new guys are figuring out how to do this. And it is an amazing thing. And it all started with that incredible book. I mean, the the research that you had in 2011 was jaw-dropping, and and it really shook the earth. I remember 60 Minutes, uh, Newsweek, where I was working at the time, all did big pieces. But as time goes on, it seems like Congress always finds a way to take the burden off of itself. Do you think the new revelations about just how wealthy Nancy Pelosi's gotten, the other things that are now starting to come out, that we might see a second wave of concern about insider trading inside the Congress? Well, it's a great question. I do think there's a second wave of concern. I think the problem remains inherently that we're asking Congress to regulate themselves. And this is a a very powerful way for members of Congress to become wealthy. You know, we talk about the insider trading. You mentioned the Visa, uh, where they got IPO shares of stock in Visa. There were, I think, nine other cases where Pelosi got beyond Visa, got IPO shares of stock. And these are, you know, shares that are supposed to go to sort of insiders in the company that help form the company or family members or investors. And here are these tech companies giving them to the Pelosi's. And as you know, with IPOs, if it's a good company, and and in the case of the Pelosi's, a lot of them were, I mean, you can see a 200%, 300% increase in your stock valuation in that stock in just one day. So the problem to me is they're not really serious about it because they don't think it's going to cost their jobs. And, And I think there's really just a couple of things that are possible solutions. I think one is you just, John, you need to ban the buying and selling of individual shares of stock. Yeah. You know, there's no reason members of Congress should be trading stocks or specifically stock options, which are leveraged bets like the Pelosi's do. Right. I think we want members of Congress. I think you'd agree with this. We want them invested in the market. Sure. We want them, you know, to be to benefit or to be hurt by what's going on in the market, what they're contributing to. So let them buy mutual funds, but don't let them buy individual stocks. The second reform, and this is a minor one, but I think is big, you know, you referenced going through the financial disclosures, you know, back in the day, 
The disclosures still to this day are released by our government on these PDF files, which are not searchable. Nope. There is actually not a searchable database. You know this. It's frustrating as hell. It takes you 10 extra hours to find any patterns. That's right. I mean, so why can't they enter the 21st century and say, we're actually going to have a searchable database where you can go and you can type in Boeing and see which uh, senators and congressmen own the stock, when they bought it, when they sold it, which committees they're on. This is not difficult to do. Uh, And the reason it's not being done is because they don't want people, regular, ordinary Americans to know the sort of stock transactions they're engaged in. Yeah, it is. It is so true. It's one of the big scams in uh, transparency because it's it's actually made. It's not that transparent because you you have to look for patterns and you can't look for patterns when some of these forms are hand filled out too, which is amazing. We live in the twenty first century. <laughs> some guys actually fill it out with a pen and you can't read the uh, pen writing or handwriting. I'm like, oh my god. Well, uh, the other day, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, uh, I thought, did a real public service. She dug into the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, and asked them to launch an investigation of insider trading, believe it or not, at the Federal Reserve. And there was this extraordinary <laughs> yeah. story of the vice chairman, I think his name was Richard Kalita, who had, would trade it like one to $5 million in, out of a bond fund into the stock funds right around the moment that Jerome Powell was gonna issue a statement about where COVID economic policy might have to head because the pandemic was worsening really a jaw-dropping case. A lot of people go, oh my God, I can't believe this. But it seems to me that beyond Congress now that we need to be looking at some of these other places that have unbelievable access to insider financial information. What was your impression when those first revelations came out about the Fed vice chairman? I think it's a huge story, and I agree with you. I mean, Elizabeth Warren, I think, has been spot on when it comes to this issue. And yeah, the Federal Reserve, like members of Congress, like senators, has enormous influence. They're involved in decision-making. They have access to inside information that is literally going to move markets. So I agree. I think the, the same sort of restrictions we're talking about, the same kind of reforms we need on Capitol Hill, we needed to apply to senators, congressmen. We also needed to apply to their staff members. But then we need to look at the Federal Reserve. We need to look at the executive branch and make sure that they're abiding by these rules. And it's very easy for us to see what their stock trades are. And again, I don't think it's a good idea to have people at the Pentagon, people at HHS, people at the Treasury Department trading individual stocks when they are involved in making decisions or they have access to material non-public information that is going to move markets. And, you know, John, we live in an age where people are very cynical uh, when it comes to their elected officials in government. And and honestly, I think that cynicism is based on realism. I I think it's based on what they've seen. It's been earned. It's been earned, exactly. And so the the, the solution is not, oh, people need to have a better attitude about their government. The, The solution is, that our government public servants need to recognize uh, that people do not trust them and they need to work to earn that trust back. And one of the ways they can do it is some very simple reforms like this. Again, put your money into a mutual fund. 
You know, earn earn it the same way that everybody else does, but stop these individual trades, these speculative options buying where you always seem to consistently do well, and it needs to extend to the Federal Reserve and the executive branch as well as Congress. You know, it's such a common sense thing. One of the things that's always perplexed me is that, you know, one of the easy vehicles that a lot of members of Congress could use is just put this into a blind trust, right? Blind yourself yep. to what you're doing until you get out of public office, and yet so few choose to do that. Why? I mean, that's a, a low hanging fruit solution. Why do you think that more people don't do that? I think that's a great question. I think it's a great solution. I think the reason they don't do that is they don't want to give up the control. Um, sometimes they will pretend that their assets are in a blind, in a blind trust. I mean, when I did uh, the Throw Them All Out book on insider trading, I talked about stock trades that John Kerry was involved in. And of course, his wife, Teresa uh, Heinz Kerry, uh, inherited the Heinz family fortune. So there's right. a lot of money at work there. And I you know, called out Kerry for the fact that, that the investments were making some really big bets around uh, Obamacare and healthcare uh, at the time that he was leading the battle in the Senate. And his defense to the news press was, no, nope, my assets are in a blind trust. I have no idea what's done. Well, you know, as you know, John, when you look at the financial disclosures that they make, there is a specific box you check when you say, and, and it's demonstrated legally to ethics officials, that your assets actually are in a blind trust. And John Kerry's were not. And yet, the media sort of accepted, you know, maybe they just didn't know what a blind trust meant or they wanted to take his word for it. So I agree with you. A blind trust is certainly an option, uh, one option that could be employed. A lot of them want to pretend that they're not involved in their trades. Yeah. Maybe they're not involved in their trades. But the problem is, John, that, that, you know, whether I execute the trade or not, if I'm an elected official, I can certainly have a conversation with my broker that, oh, my gosh, you wouldn't believe what I think is going to happen to the Pentagon budget this year. You know, it looks like Boeing's really going to have a bad turn here. Well, yeah. I'm not executing the trade, but if my broker trades Boeing stock based on that, what difference does it make if I made the trade or if the broker did? And so that's the kind of problem you run into. And I think a blind trust is a great idea. A yeah. Great idea. Such a great point. Well, it's, I, I, the Stock Act was a direct result of your incredible reporting, that incredible book, which I still have in my bookshelf, less than 10 feet from me. I love that book. And the, um, <laughs> the Business Insider, just about two weeks ago, had gone through all the filings and they found 37 members of the current Congress, just since January, violated that law. Remarkable. But the impact that you had in having the Stock Act is one of the great public service journalism impacts I've seen. It was an amazing thing. Now, this is something of personal interest to me because I have a rule. If Peter Schweitzer has a book coming out, I cancel all vacation for a month because <laughs> I know I got a month of incredible work. So when's your next book coming out so I can tell my wife I can't go on vacation that week? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a book. I've got a book coming out in January. All right. You will certainly get it. You will certainly get an early look at it. I um, love but it. It is under embargo right now. And uh, I will say that honestly, this is the scariest book that I've written, and I wow. think that will become apparent when people see it. And it, again, it is a look at corruption involving some very scary international actors and how it goes to the highest levels of our government and our business community. Ah, uh, man, there are probably many, many bureaucrats and politicians that are compromised more than we know. The last book you did that, that brought out so much of the Hunter Biden transaction, it's funny, the other day, I guess it was on the one-year anniversary of the New York Post being censored yeah. for the laptop, yeah. uh, the Republican National Committee asked for a special counsel for the first time be appointed 
disappointed to look at at Hunter Biden. Your book set the track. I did some reporting for a while. Boy, that was painful. That's a subject. I, oof, man, I didn't know what a bee's nest I was getting into that. But we're, <laughs> we're two, three years, you know, from the government knowing about the problems that Hunter Biden have. Uh, is it amazing to you that more hasn't been done in the case about Hunter Biden, at least not visible, that he hasn't faced some charges or some consequence for, for what went on in that incredibly seemly period where he was working for Ukraine and China and, and uh, Romania? and everyone else. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really stunning on a couple of levels. I mean, first, the fact that Joe Biden, who is the patriarch of the Biden family, of course, allowed this to go on. Yeah. I think that's where the first responsibility begins because the fact of the matter is if Joe Biden had said, Hunter, stop doing this, I don't want you doing this, Hunter Biden would have stopped. The problem is, as I think has become apparent, you've reported on this, we've certainly found it, the problem is that Joe Biden was a direct beneficiary of some of these. He things. was. So, so yep. this is not really a Hunter Biden story. But I think the other disappointment really foundationally for me has been the lack of interest and curiosity by the national media. Yeah. The notion, I mean, just take something recent, for example. Um, there was a the whole issue of the 2020 election, but just take something recent. The video of Hunter Biden, you know, with that woman yep. uh, where he is talking about how his laptop has been stolen. He's afraid that he's going to be blackmailed. There's sensitive information on there. It could be used against him. It could be used against his family. I mean, no one has challenged the authenticity of that video. It, it, it's, it's absolutely accurate. And yet the mainstream media somehow does not think that the son of the sitting president saying himself that his activities and connections and behaviors threaten to lead to blackmail and compromise that can affect his father is somehow not a news story, is, is, is absolutely astonishing to me. And of course, this has been going on for years. Uh, in 2020, the New York Post, the laptop, the reporting you've done, the reporting yeah. I've done, the just lack of curiosity about this, about the news media, I think has not only affected the country in a terrible way, it's, I think, further damaged the reputation of the news media. And the problem is we need good, powerful news media outlets that people trust and feel like they're going to cover both sides. Yep. And people don't have that trust no. in what were these once great newspapers like the New York Times and others. They just don't trust them anymore because they have their finger on the scale. Yeah. And that, I think I saw a poll recently, 20 percent trust in the media. I mean, that's jaw dropping, but it's earned it's just the last five or yeah. 10 years. You know, in 2011, when you wrote your book, everybody jumped on those revelations. And that's how the Stock Act became law, because the media still cared. And, and whether they didn't care if it was a Democrat a Republican, they were worried about the core public trust issue that your incredible reporting uncovered. But it seems like around 2015, 2016, the, the media just went off this rail. And you're right, they started yeah. putting their thumb on one side of the scale. And I think democracy is worse for it. But the good news is you're still writing and you're still reporting. And so we're going to get a new dose of knowledge in the next couple of weeks. So January is the book. Any bad actors in the foreign world in, infiltrating the United States government I think I'm going to be really excited to be working in January. I can't wait to dig into that book. <laughs> well, thanks, John. And yes, you will definitely get an early copy. And what I always appreciate is, you know, 
I really work in my research team, we really work on the basis of public documents, public materials, corporate records, financial records, court documents, et cetera. And what's so great is, you know, we sort of hopefully start a very important national conversation. And then, you know, somebody like you, you've done this numerous times. You take that material, you've got contacts and relationships at the FBI and at other sources where you can really do some of the gumshoe journalism that you've done for so many years and really build on that reporting in amazing ways. And I'm hopeful that you're going to do that again, because uh, it's very important. I think the sake of the country is at stake with a lot of the challenges we're facing, and we need this kind of reporting so that people at least know what's going on. And then they've got to make a fundamental choice, whether they want to do something about it and whether they want to preserve the future of the country. Yeah, such an important point. Well, I just texted my wife. I'm not going on vacation in January. I can't wait for the book. It's always a great moment. And I've said this everywhere I go in the country. I can count on one hand the impactful journalists who've changed the course of history in the last two decades in your Every time your book comes out, it changes the course of history. Uh, we get something new, and we're just so grateful for that, Peter. And thanks for helping remind us about everything that Nancy Pelosi did before the last story that just came out. <laughs> You're very welcome. Always a pleasure to join you, John. Yeah, it's an honor to have you on, and I know people really relish this conversation. All right. Have a good one, Peter. Thanks. All right, folks. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the day. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks. Wow, that was a great conversation. I can't wait for Peter's new book. I know you can't either. What an incredible opportunity to be with Peter, be with his conversation, get get his mind. He's had a 10-year impact on this conversation in America. He actually created a law. He actually spurred Congress to create a law to address it. But he, as he described to you, the laws brought transparency, but it hasn't stopped the bigger ethics issue the appearance that lawmakers are trading on their job, getting inside information, favorable IPOs. That's all important, and it hasn't gone away. That's why we wanted to bring him on and educate you and me about that. All right, have a great night. We'll be back tomorrow with a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. I know you're going to like our conversation tomorrow a lot. We're going to be talking about secession, and not from the United States per se, but... There is a community in Atlanta that wants to secede from the city of Atlanta because they think it's doing such a poor job with police and violence and taxes and city services. And yes, that pipe dream is now becoming a reality. The man who is leading that fight, Bill White, from the neighborhood of Buckhead, who wants to make Buckhead a city, an independent city from Atlanta, 
he's going to join us and tell us how it's all going down. Tune in tomorrow with a great show. Well, I think you'll enjoy it a lot.